There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ever been ringside and got blood on you? All the time. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was really embarrassing. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, Keith Eidek is back. BoxingScene.com. He is an institution in Las Vegas, just like Penn & Teller, Britney Spears. Is Elvis an institution is, in Vegas back is, in the day? That is, that, now you're calling me fat now. With the, no, I, with I, the, I mean, with the Elvis reference, come on. Elvis no, wasn't I, always fat. Like no, he, he was, he was very, at, the, at the end, he was very fat. But, um, <laughs> Did you know him at the end? Were you, were you uh, my mother was a huge Elvis fan, so uh, so I'm very familiar with Elvis's antics toward the end of his life. <laughs> it would have been uh, so good if you had said, like, my mother knew Elvis. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden, it gets connected yeah, my that My mother way. wished she knew Elvis, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I feel like I've... Uh, I have a permanent residence of some sort here, for sure. I know that feeling, man. Like, pre-COVID, most summers, I would spend at least 21 days probably here in Vegas. Between Summer League, USA Basketball, and invariably one or two fights, it would be 20-plus days. And anyone that spent time in July and August in Vegas, it is literally like flying into an oven and and just parking yourself in an oven for an extended period of time. No, it really is, Chris. And even now, uh, for the most part, I've been here since last Wednesday, I think. So, like, whatever that is, eight or nine days. And other than two days when it was in the low 70s, kind of out of nowhere, it's been in the mid-90s and everything, and you just stay inside for the most part, you know? Yeah, you don't hit so, the wave pool here at the Mandalay Bay? <laughs> as, uh, as I'm sure you've realized, and knowing me as long as you have, I, I don't tan well. <laughs> don't so tan? I, mean, I do not you know, tan I went well. out to the wave pool for 45 minutes today, and I could feel myself oh, baking. It's, no, it's... And, and, like you said, this is nothing like July oh. Vegas heat, you know, so it's... July, uh, August is... Hopefully never find out what hell is like, but yeah. July, August in Vegas, we'll, we'll, weather-wise. Yeah, we'll be here back-to-back, and you'll be here for summer league yeah. and back-to-back big on. fights. Yeah. A lot of things going on in Vegas in the summertime. All right, let's jump in with um, 
what you saw last week in live, I watched on TV, Josh Taylor uh, unifying the 140-pound division, undisputed 140-pound champion. I thought it was a great fight. Uh, back and forth yeah. where the difference, quite literally, on the scorecards was the knockdowns. Uh, Josh Taylor picked up an early knockdown. I think it was, what, the seventh round when he had the uppercut that put Jose Ramirez down, which uh, rocked Jose Ramirez. He wins 114-112 on all three judges' scorecards. Give me your impressions of what you saw from Taylor and Ramirez. Really impressed with Josh Taylor, of course. I thought I had him winning 115-111. Of course, Several rounds could go one way or the other, particularly. Whenever it's the, one round, it doesn't really. Eat, yeah, like whatever, absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the first five rounds of the fight, I mean, there were a couple of rounds I thought could have gone either way. Uh, but Taylor was really impressive, be, primarily to me, because Jose Ramirez laid it on him so badly during the third round. I started to think, well, maybe he's just going to overwhelm Josh Taylor and maybe not necessarily get him out of there in the third round, but maybe get him out of there. And Taylor really recovered from that well, just as Jose Ramirez deserves a lot of credit for coming back, particularly from the second knockdown. The first knockdown was a really perfectly placed shot, I thought, from Josh Taylor. He you know, he stepped back and really caught him with a good shot. Ramirez coming in to... Right, more yeah. of a flash knockdown, less than 10 seconds into the sixth round. The second one, he was badly hurt. Now, Ramirez tried to say after the fight that he wasn't badly hurt. He was badly hurt. And if Josh Taylor has a little more time, either from Kenny Bayless or if it was a little earlier in the round... Maybe he finishes Jose Ramirez in that seventh round. Um, just, just out of curiosity, what was your? I'll ask you a question for a change. <laughs> what was your perspective on the way Kenny Bayless handled that? I thought Kenny Bayless bailed Jose Ramirez out. I thought he yeah. gave him three or four extra seconds that might have made the difference for Josh Taylor. I'm with you. Jose was hurt in that seventh round. He caught a flush uppercut. And he did not have his legs under him. And Kenny Bayless is like counting, and then he's going back and you know pushing Taylor mm -hmm. back who didn't really need to be pushed back. It was just a weird situation that yeah. Kenny seemed determined to give Ramirez that amount of time. When I went back and, you know, I, I wrote a story on it the next day and uh, I counted the seconds and everything from the time on the clock, on the ESPN clock, it was either 21 or 22 seconds went by from the time Jose Ramirez hit the canvas. That's an eternity. Until, until the time that they were brought together. Now, it's never going to be 10 seconds because the guy has to get, you know, they have to, wipe his gloves off and check that he's okay but 21 22 seconds is obviously like you said a very long time chris um so he got the i thought jose ramirez got the benefit of the doubt there because i think josh taylor had maybe 10 seconds maybe nine seconds to finish him off which is not a lot of time however i think kenny bayless mishandling separating them from that clinch put Jose Ramirez in a vulnerable position where Josh Taylor, and I don't fault Josh Taylor at all. You protect yourself at all times, and, and he's just taking advantage of a situation. But Kenny Bayless, numerous times before that, particularly in the fifth round when there was a ton of clinching, he stepped between them and physically separated them almost every time. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of times when he tapped the guy's arm, but m I'd say 75, 80% of the time, he was literally physically separated. I thought he was too involved in that sense, too. Like yeah. I would have liked to have seen him let some of those clinches go a right. little bit longer work out and of let it. them work out yeah. of it. Right. But if you're Jose Ramirez, again, protect yourself at all times. Don't let your guard down. And he and to Ramirez's credit, he did not blame Kenny Bayless at all, whereas everyone on social media and even some of us in the media were saying, hey, you know, Bayless did him wrong in that sense. He didn't. He took full responsibility for. It. He said it's a mistake on my part. It's kind of. He didn't use the word rookie mistake, but he said it's inexperience on my part for you know 
basically saying I'm a I'm a fighter with a lot of experience. I'm a world champion. I should know better. So he took the blame for it, which I give him a lot of credit for. But I think Bayless put him in position, you know, for that to happen, and that sh- it, it never should have happened. But once it did happen, he probably should have been knocked out in the seventh round, as Josh Taylor later said. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it is kind of a teaching lesson for any boxer, though. Like, you know. Jose Ramirez went down because he relaxed. Like, he let his guard down, he let his body kind of untense, and he got hit clean that way. And that was the biggest part of the impact, I thought, that, you know, he caught him just completely defenseless in that way. Of of his own clean punch by Josh Taylor. Again, not an issue there. But, uh, you know, Ramirez anticipated the break, and you can't anticipate the break, no matter under any circumstances. Absolutely. The other thing that I don't like, Chris, I'm wondering what you're feeling on this, is I don't like when referees tap guys' arms or hold down their arm it's while they're involved. in a clinch. Yeah. It's too involved, and it also, it, it, in this case, it didn't matter. It actually benefited Josh Taylor. But if you're, if you're pulling another guy's arm down, it then puts him in a vulnerable position where he might get hit off a clinch, and then what do you do? Like, you're holding his arm. The, the referee's responsible then for holding down one of his arms, and if a guy tries to hit him off the break, then what do you do? Yeah, I don't like that tactic. The best referees are invisible ones, and I yeah. like the ones that kind of hang back and just shout at them, be like, right. "Work out, don't hold." Right. You know, give them opportunities, especially early in the fight, yeah. to work themselves out. And if they don't, then get in there. You know, if they're not, yeah. if they're just hanging all over each other, then get in and start to separate them. But uh, great win for Josh Taylor. So, do you assume that at some point, probably early next year, we get Taylor versus Terrence Crawford, or is there a chance Teofimo Lopez works himself into that mix? Because you were at Teofimo's. Uh, open workout this week. He seems very interested in that Josh Taylor fight at 140. Yeah, one thing uh, Tiafimo Lopez did say, though, is that he expects, and I don't blame Josh Taylor for this at all, if he wants to keep all four titles, and he worked so hard to get all mm-hmm. four titles, he's going to have to make a mandatory defense against Jack Catterall next, as you know, Chris. That's a long overdue mandatory. And it's the kind of fight where you can make it a homecoming fight for Taylor when things opened up in Scotland. He has mentioned he wants to fight at Edinburgh Castle uh, or uh, uh, for Easter Road, I think it's yep. called. It's a soccer stadium there from his favorite soccer team when he was a and kid. And make a boatload of money. Make Good a for boatload you. of money. He deserves that. I mean, he and has Catterall's not a dumb fight either. He's no. undefeated. Yeah, and he's I think, unde- I think and he's Taylor British. wins. And yeah. He's, yeah, he's a British fighter it's, it's who's a solid undefeated. domestic and he's a, fight. And he's the mandatory, yeah. so we, there's no way around it. So Tiafimo Lopez thinks that he'll fight Catterall next, although he wasn't even quite clear on Catterall's name. He did say that he, that he expects him to do that next. And then from his own perspective, the way he said it was, I don't want to go out at 135 with Cambosis. So, of course, he's expecting to beat George Cambosis on June 19th, assuming he does that. He... He wants Devin Haney, obviously. I mean, uh, that's what he wants. That's what he really wants, and he's hoping to force the WBC to force Devin Haney to do it. And from his perspective, um, but yeah, so I wouldn't expect to see that next. But I, I'm not sure what to make of Terence Crawford at this point. You know, we know when his contract is going to come to an end with Top Rank. Uh, I don't. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't fight Josh Taylor. He, Crawford would clearly be the favorite in that fight. Uh, big opportunity for Josh Taylor. Big-time fight, too. Yeah, big-time fight. It pro- yeah, I mean, if you're him, you have so many options now because you go do this, you get this mandatory out of the way, assuming he wins that. You could stay at 140, and there are the Mikey Garcia fight would be a very good fight at 140 for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if those are as lucrative as maybe, but maybe. The right, if the right people come along and pay for it, it you know it could be more lucrative than Tiafimo Lopez. I don't know about the Crawford. I think the Crawford fight would probably be the biggest one for Josh Taylor, but it's also probably the most dangerous because he's a bigger guy and you know and, and a better fighter. Look, if you're Josh Taylor, you take the Catterall fight whenever you take it, 
you know, fall, basically, and then see what's out there. Like, if Teofimo decides he's done at 135, that's an incredibly lucrative fight. If Crawford is still searching around for somebody to fight, which is distinctly possible at this point, I don't know what Crawford's future looks like, short and long term, uh, get a bidding war going. Like, you know, you've got all four of those titles. You've got leverage here. And you can always kind of hold on to them and take another mandatory if you want in your backyard and make a decent amount of money. So I think Josh Taylor's put himself in a huge position to make a pile of money over the next couple of years. Um, Jose Ramirez, I didn't feel like he's a big loser in all this. Like he fought well, let his guard down, got knocked down. That was the difference in the scorecards. Um, I don't think a lot of shine came off him in this one. What do you think? Yeah, I think particularly because of the way he came back in the championship yeah, he won rounds, three of the four, right. all four, yeah, one exactly. card. Like, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, he really came back in the championship rounds. And I'm not saying that that Taylor faded necessarily, but it seemed like he was trying to conserve his energy. He didn't throw as nearly as many punches in the championship rounds as he had in, in the earlier rounds, of course. And I think he felt, and it was a dangerous game for him to play as it turned out. I think he felt maybe he had built a bigger lead than he really had. You would think he would have known better because going into the fight he had real problems with the judging panel, which was the same exact judging panel, although experienced at the highest level, that judged the Victor Postal-Jose Ramirez fight, which some people thought Jose Ramirez lost. Some mm-hmm. people thought it was a draw. And, uh, and all three of those, well, two of those judges scored it for Ramirez. Um, so he, did pr- he didn't make a big deal about it before the fight, but he did protest. His camp did protest one of the judges that was actually when they presented them with the pool of judges, he objected to one of the judges that actually scored the Mm -hmm. fight. So you would think he would have gone about it in a little different way because clearly he was giving away some rounds there toward the end. Mm -hmm. And as you said, the the knockdowns were the difference on the cards. I'm not, yeah. I I just, I look for, and I know you do too, like wherever they're from, the best judges in boxing, Steve Weisfeld, widely regarded as one of not the best judge in boxing. However, he scored the Ramirez post-all fight, like, Whatever. Like, you know, I, I want that guy ringside, yeah, you know, he, calling a big fight. He had it the widest, and obviously I'm very familiar with Steve, yeah. another Jersey guy I've known for a long time. You guys clear, all, like, have each other's phone clear, numbers, right? Of course, you know, so. of course. It's all, uh, you know, we all watch the Sopranos together and <laughs> Jersey Shore and the like. Wow, um, Jersey Shore <laughs> and the Sopranos together. Um, That's impressive. Could you imagine a viewing party of the Jersey Shore at Steve Weisfeld's house, <laughs> how that would go? So what do you think Ramirez does, though? <laughs> from here i mean like a natural reaction to losing a fight oftentimes is i want to move up in weight ramirez has been at 140 for some time now i don't think he needs to i think there are still probably bigger makeable fights for him at 140 than there are at 147 so i think staying there at 140 he gets in that mikey garcia teofimo lopez mix as you know ramirez Ramirez, i'm talking about yeah Yeah, well he can't fight mikey garcia but oh yeah but but but, yeah that would be a that would be yeah, a good yeah. fight. I'd love yeah. to see it. Two reasons, of course, why you can't fight Mikey Garcia because they're trained by his mm-hmm. by Mikey Robert, Garcia's yeah. older brother Robert. And I, I don't really know that Mikey can. Although he has kind of said that he's open to doing business again with Top Rank, mm-hmm. I don't know that that's actually possible. I think Mikey at um, this point just needs to do business with somebody. <laughs> I, but, <laughs> I mean, I, but I also think he's such a smart businessman yeah. and has navigated his career in a way that I think he would work yeah. with pretty much anyone. You know, yeah. he's also winning like the Amir Khan award for chasing a fighter around for the last two years. Like he's been chasing Pacquiao yeah. now for since yeah. a year ago, February. Like it just, he's got to get back in the ring at somebody at some point. Yeah. But, but he's made so much money as he you has. know, Chris, he's, you know, he's comfortable. He's like well, 7 this, million this, this, for that fight he had against, against uh, Jesse, Jesse Vargas. Vargas. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and he, and he's a principled guy mm-hmm. who's, who 
literally, I wouldn't say squandered because it worked out perfectly for him and worked out the way that he had hoped, but he didn't fight for two and a half years. I mean, there's not too many guys on principle who would just sit out two and a half years and kind of waste a lot of their uh, prime earning, you know, time at the time of their career. He, he more than mm-hmm. made up for it with the fights that he's had against Spence and Vargas and others. But So what do you think Ramirez does then? Do you think he hangs out at 140? Because he deflected after the fights, and I'm not ready to yeah. consider that. But uh, what do you think he winds up doing? I think it depends on what's presented to him. Uh, there are good fights for him at 140, though. I mean, the Regis Progray fight would be... I'm not saying next because I think he'll probably take some sort of, you know... Uh, tune-up type fight probably next. I'm also not sure Regis can ever make 140 again. He might yeah. be. Well, yeah. He might have he, reached that point. <laughs> yeah. And he did say that, uh, I heard him say recently that he's got some kind of nutritionist that he really believes in and whatever, but he missed weight for his last fight. So, yeah, so who knows? And he's, I don't know that that's the biggest fight there for Regis. I mean, he's chased, he wants the Broner fight, which I don't really see happening because I don't think Broner's going to fight him. Um, but he wants a Josh Taylor rematch or other fights that I think Progray would love to fight Crawford if he got the opportunity. So, And as you said, he might belong at welterweight now more than junior welterweight. So, um, But there are options there for Jose Ramirez at, at 140 for sure. Mm. All right, so I'm sitting at my house last Friday watching the Ramirez and Taylor weigh in, watching the coverage afterwards where Ramirez and Taylor are kind of scuffling in the hallway. I'm scrolling through Twitter and... Lo and behold, a Manny Pacquiao tweet comes out where it's Pacquiao Spence, 2021, August 21st, 2021 on Fox Pay-Per-View. Let me start here. How shocked were you to see that tweet from Manny Pacquiao? Well, that day I was surprised. We had gone to lunch right after the weigh-in, and then my phone starts blowing up and everything. Uh, The one thing I will say is uh, I was told by someone very close to Manny Pacquiao in the beginning of April, that unequivocally he is not fighting Terence Crawford on June 5th. There's nothing to this. The money's not there. Yada yada yada. Don't e- don't even don't worry. It ain't happening. But don't be surprised if he fights Spence and not Ugas. I was told that the first week of April. Mm-hmm. Um, turned out to happen. I was surprised. Well, on, you know, last Friday when it when it came to fruition but also when Manny announces something like that well he has announced fights before that never happened he's done this with Amir Khan so you had to make sure verify that it was actually true Mm -hmm. and then of course Spence you know put up his own posts and everything and I you know confirmed it with PBC and all but as we all did but um but it was surprising (laughs) I mean we Chris it's amazing where we've gone we're over a was it a five basically a five-day span last Mm -hmm. week we went from having uh, Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua fighting in Saudi Arabia August 14th and Spence, you know, maybe fighting Ugas in a fight that I don't really think people are, would have been all that interested in, to having <laughs> Fury Wilder 3 and Spence Pacquiao within a four-week span in Vegas this summer. It was such an incredible turn of events. And in boxing, they don't keep much, you know, not that the, Fury Wilder thing was a secret because mm-hmm. we all knew about the arbitration, but but it was a, a pretty interesting turn of events there to have these two huge fights, despite what people might think of Deontay Wilder going into the third fight. It's a big event. Are you surprised, though, that Pacquiao... I mean, all that being said, like, two years ago, it seemed like Pacquiao wanted nothing to do with Errol Spence. Like, you remember when Spence beat Mikey Garcia and Pacquiao climbs into the ring? And Pacquiao, I think, was there 
hoping that like Garcia would win because Pacquiao's always wanted that Garcia fight because that's a more winnable fight. There's money in it, it's marketable. Freddie Roach been pushing for that fight for a long time. Um, I think there's pictures out there. You can look them up on Twitter, like of Pacquiao standing next to Spence and looking like he wanted nothing to do with it. Now here we are, two years later, 42 years old. He will be what 25 months removed from his last fight, and he's getting in with arguably the top dog in the division. I get Pacquiao insane credit if he finds a way to beat errol spence i'd have to think about it but that would jump him many spots up the all-time rankings yeah to me to be 42 and to beat a mid-20 or 30 something year old spence that would be remarkable but i just i'm trying to process why he's doing it is it just like the money is going to be so big or you think there's another reason i think the money is it's an enormous sum of money it has to be because this doesn't make sense on a lot of levels. None of the numbers are favorable toward Manny Pacquiao. He's 42 years old. He's he's five foot six, maybe. He hasn't fought, and as you said, more than two. It'll be more. It'll be two years and one month by the time he steps in the ring with Spence. There, there's nothing numerically that favors him going into this fight. No, oh, by the way, the guy he's fighting is a monster, and had and clearly proved against Danny Garcia that he is the same fighter that he was before he got into that horrific car accident. So the money, and look, I'm sure you have, just as I have, been trying to find out what the guarantee is, right? Desperately. But it has to be enormous because I always thought that Manny Pacquiao, when he did climb back into the ring, would squeeze two more paydays out of his celebrated career. He, I always Now, I'm not saying he would have beat Mikey Garcia. That's not an easy fight either. Mm-hmm. But it's a more winnable fight, and I think all of our opinions than Errol Spence, right? So he, you figure he rolls the dice with Mikey Garcia. He gets paid a lot of money. He wins. The Spence fight is there. Then he cashes out with the Spence fight. Going straight to the Spence fight, I, got, I have to be honest, other than what I was told in early April, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't see it coming because that it's, wow. It's a tall order literally and figuratively, and, man, I... I you need a dump truck for for what Manny Gar- uh, Manny Pacquiao's got. I mean, come on, Jesus! It's, it's remarkable, and I agree. I mean, the pandemic obviously screwed up every plan Pacquiao had. Like he probably would have fought in the Middle East, maybe against Mikey Garcia, maybe against Amir Khan. Winnable fights that would have brought a lot of money because of the Middle East money that probably would have been available to him, but. Here he is, you know, and I've I always wonder. I always ask these questions: where this PBC money comes from? Because it seems like a lot is going out and not as much is coming in. But he's got to be getting a massive guarantee, as you said, for this fight. Spence must be getting a massive guarantee for this fight. Uh, I'm curious to see what it does on pay per view. Uh, Summer months hit or miss sometimes, but this should get some good traction. Best 147, arguably in Spence. Pacquiao, a living legend, a king-making type of event, uh, even with WrestleMania potentially being in Vegas over that same weekend, it still should be a wild scene. Uh, it's a crowning achievement if, if Pacquiao is able to do. I mean, I, I guess let's put look, let's look at it quickly through this lens. If Pacquiao beats Errol Spence, would you place Pacquiao ahead of Floyd Mayweather on your all-time pound-for-pound pound list? Uh, <laughs> probably not. Because, no? because when they fought... Look what happened. They did. They did. You know what I mean. So there's, they're basically. I mean, Floyd's older than him. So yeah. So when they fought, I think you'd have to go based on the head-to-head matchup. But as you said, I think uh, you'd have to move Manny Pacquiao. I think Manny Pacquiao is extremely high on everyone's list in terms of all-time greats. 
But wow, I mean, if he were to beat Errol Spence, who's what is he thirty thirty one thirty one years yeah. old? Yeah, I think he's thirty one years old now. So. Man, that would that would and that removed would be, from the car crash. That's like, what you know, I mean, That's not it, even an issue exactly. anymore. Danny Garcia settled that. See, the thing is, and and, I, and Crawford actually said this. Not that there was any real threat of that fight happening at any point soon, but Crawford said he, he even if he were offered the Spence fight, he's not sure that he would have taken it coming off the car accident because he felt like if he won, yeah. Now, when push came to shove, maybe he would have done it, but. He said he kind of felt like if he won, he would not have been given the credit that he felt he deserved for winning that fight because they would have said, oh, he was not the same after the car accident. Yeah. That's been dispelled now. He is the same after the car accident. And for Pacquiao to do this, I mean, I can't emphasize enough, Chris, as I think both of us have indicated here, how much credit Manny Pacquiao deserves for doing this. I mean, it's an incredible challenge for a guy his age, his size, coming off a two-year layoff. He was very good against Keith Thurman, and Keith Thurman mm-hmm. is an elite welterweight also. Not as good as Errol Spence, I don't think, but but an elite welterweight, and he beat him. He knocked him down, beat him on the cards. You know, Keith Thurman's the same age, basically the same mm-hmm. age as Spence. I think he's 32 now. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Pacquiao doing this. I know there's the head-to-head, and you're right. You know, they fought each other in 2015. Mayweather won. Wide decision. But... Given that Pacquiao, even at this stage of his career, is fighting the very top guys. Like two years ago, Keith Thurman was arguably the top guy at 147. Arguably. Like he had, you know, I mean, he had some, a long layoff. I get that. Like, you know, but, but there was a, there's a stretch over those three years that he was considered number one. Still undefeated, you know, so he was up there. One, two, or three. Like right at the top. Spence, same thing. Arguably top guy. Whereas Mayweather, my biggest issue with Mayweather, I'm not a Floyd hater either, but like, since De La Hoya, like, it's always been something about every one of his opponents. Like, something, whether it's Shane Mosley is a little bit older than what he once was. Miguel Cotto a little bit older than what he once was. Canelo a little bit younger than what he once was. Then he's Andre Berto and Marcos Maidana. Like, these were, I think, I mean, Pacquiao's resume, to me, is stronger. And that, uh, that matters. It, it, look, Pacquiao has fought an incredible list of fighters. I do think sometimes the hatred for Floyd Mayweather from, from his detractors kind of blurs what he actually did mm. because yes you could say that canelo was not quite ready for that fight for, but canelo was i don't know how many years into his career at that point when they fought i mean he had been a pro for a very long time he turned pro at 15 years old he's 23 years old really three years though of fighting real guys like true you know, he, true but he was also yeah as you advance into your late 20s that's more of your physical prime than 23 but i don't look at that fight as floyd mayweather taking advantage of a young kid who didn't no. know how to fight and and floyd mayweather was old at that point he was how old was floyd when he when he fought him 36 was it 8 years ago so he was in his 30s i believe yeah. he was 36 years old when that fight happened in september of 13 so he's well out of his physical mm-hmm. prime at that point um yeah, i don't Canelo's not really that bigger than Floyd, but I'm. But point being, he felt like the worst game plan in the history of game plans. It that was, but be a young, undefeated yeah. star fighter. Now, of course, he's become the biggest star in yeah. American boxing since then. But that's a really good win, mm. and, and beating De La Hoya, who was much bigger than him, yeah, toward you know, in, in, in the back end of his career, a really good win. The point being, I think, and when they when he fought Pacquiao again, Floyd was the older fighter, mm-hmm. and he beat him easy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then Manny made the excuse with the shoulder and all that. So th- the other thing, and and I, Pacquiao has showed a remarkable ability to come back from some, devi- well, one really devastating loss. Yeah, Floyd Mayweather is ne- never knocked yeah. unconscious, you know? Say yeah. what you will about his matchmaking and how careful he was at certain points in his career. Some of that criticism, I believe, is fair. 
but he never lost. Right. That, there's something to be said for that. He retired undefeated. He did it his way. He made almost a billion dollars, for God's mm-hmm. sake, in boxing alone. Mm-hmm. That's kind of hard to argue with. I, yeah, that. I, I agree with all that. It, it's a debate, right? It's like yeah. it's always going to be subjective. I, I just look at Pacquiao's resume with like, I mean, hell, four fights with Juan Manuel Marquez, a Hall of Famer himself. I mean, one thing I'll say: d- Did Floyd ever do something like this? What Manny Pacquiao is doing? Of course not. No, <laughs> this is unprecedented. The guy's yeah. 42. Coming off a two-year layoff against a beast who's who's never been beaten. I'm actually surprised to a degree that Pacquiao's not didn't try harder to do something like you know fight the equivalent of Conor McGregor, fight Conor McGregor, like do you know try to cash in a very easy payday the way who who's saying he won't? That's true. Yeah, he's still got time. <laughs> but I mean, if you get knocked out, then it becomes less. If like Spence beats you to a pulp, that it becomes yeah. less appealing to watch the, that fight. The thing that I that makes me cringe a little bit about this fight, as intriguing as it is trying to see Pacquiao pull this off. It's a dangerous fight for Pacquiao. Very. And you don't want to see the guy get the crap beat out of him by a guy who's in his physical prime, much bigger, a, a stronger fighter. Completely you agree. Don't want to, you don't That's why that Mikey Garcia was, I thought, was a smarter idea because Mikey could beat him, but he wasn't going to beat him up. Right. You know, he, yeah. Pacquiao could lose like a 16-12 decision. And, mm-hmm. all right, I don't have anything left. Spence could leave him on his back. And Yeah. That's just not the lasting image we want of an all-time great. But, hey, that's his choice, and I give him a ton of credit for going out there and and doing something like that. It's going to be a huge event on August 21st. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. 
Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, let's finish with what we're going to see this weekend. Devin Haney taking on Hori Lenares, biggest name on Haney's resume to date. Lenares, multi-division world champion, even at 35 years old, still a threat, still powerful. Uh, he bounced back well from the knockout loss at 140 to Pablo Cesar Cano. Uh, how dangerous is Linares in this fight? You know, Chris, it's interesting that is Linares what he was the night that he fought? Is he closer to what he was the night he fought Lomachenko when he knocks him down, when he's ahead on one scorecard when the fight ends? Or is he closer to Pablo Cesar Cano, that version of Linares, who was knocked down three times and stopped in the first round? I do. I, I understand that he moved up five pounds. He did. You know, he moved up from one thirty-five to one forty for that fight, but he didn't move up multiple divisions or anything like that. So you know that counts. I mean, <laughs> even though he was out of the division where he's done his best work, it still counts. So I, so that's in the back of everyone's minds as well. Is you know he did come back. He had a very good win in his last fight, a fourth round knockout, um, but he hasn't fought in fifteen months. So it's. It's tough to it's tough to say. I, it, one interesting thing that I found uh, when I was I had ESPN on in the room before, and the Daily Wager show, one of the you know professional gamblers on there actually picked Lenaris as his best bet of the weekend. Because he's a like, monster underdog right, in this he, fight. The odds on the fight are a little out of whack. I don't, Wacky, yeah. Like so, for a guy that can still crack at least, right? Like, Right. Insane. So he, he, I think it's plus he's plus seven fifty or plus eight hundred. At one point he was plus eleven hundred. At right. one point, yeah, I think it's, yeah, people watching. have been betting Lenaris. I guess yeah. at this you know at this point, but um, so the I mean that's look how often does a boxing match register on the Daily Wager show or anything like that on ESPN as a best bet or anything? And the guy was pretty confident, and I think he's the, he's also the guy in the show. As we sit he, here with Jake Wigley running by, fighting on the undercard against. Uh, Shane Mosley, uh, he got to love. Know, <laughs> yeah, gotta love well, doing yeah, podcasts in the middle fi- of the It's hallway. fight week, you know. Um, but yeah, so so my point is, you know, a guy who just won like three a three hundred thousand dollar bet is calling this his best bet of the weekend. So that's that's interesting. So yeah. for whatever that's worth. And sure as we sure he's been wrong a lot of times too, but we continue to sit here as Joe Markovsky runs, walks by. Doing the, he's going to the pool apparently. Going to, <laughs> going to the pool. This is podcasting in real time. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I think I have a feeling Lenaris is going to be impressive. I don't know what that means, whether he wins or not, but I think he's going to be impressive. I spent some time talking to him. On Thursday, and look, fighters say a lot of things, but Lenaris and his team reminded me that they do their best work when they go to Japan, right? Like every time he goes to Japan, he comes back, he's successful. When he stays in the U.S. and trains, it often doesn't work out. He is comfortable now working with his brother Carlos, who is his head trainer. That seems to be a really strong relationship. Um, he moved up to 140 because he was having problems making weight at 135. He was telling me how easy it was to make weight in this fight, and you could it, it didn't seem like lip service. Like, he's bouncing around, he's answering all the questions with real good energy. Those are, Keith, usually signs that a guy is telling the truth, that a guy is like on weight, and this is a healthy way of making weight. So, 
I think what it's going to come down to is how good is Devin Haney? Like, do we know yet how good Devin Haney is? He has shown flashes of everything. Speed, power, technical skill. Um, he layered his camp this time around. Ben Davison is hanging around. He spent some time working with uh, Devin uh, and, you know, credit Bill Haney, by the way, his father and trainer for not stepping aside. He's still the head trainer, but, you know, saying, Devin, we're going to bring other voices. You decide what you want to hear. So I think Devin is is getting good information, but I think it's gonna we're going to find out in this fight how good Devin Haney really is. Yeah, and that's, of course, why we're here, Chris, yeah. to find out, you know, this is a step up for him. You know, it's... It's a very different three-division world champion than the three-division champion he fought in his last fight. Gamboa mm-hmm. was a, a month shy of his 39th birthday when they fought. You know, he's been faded for a couple of years now, has been beaten multiple times. This is a different... Were you disappointed in that performance? Well, he won all 12 rounds on right. two of the scorecards. Uh, Linares, I had a similar conversation with Linares yesterday as well. You know, he told me how much he's a different fighter when he trains in japan and he was there pre-lockdown and he spent the Mm -hmm. whole pandemic there until last friday when he came to the u.s and all that Uh, but he told me several things about what he without giving away his game plan or anything he did say look there were things in the gamboa fight that gamboa accomplished he just what you know he he doesn't have the legs that he once had anymore he's a smaller fighter to begin with probably not not really a a lightweight Mm -hmm. um but he did some things where he when he pressured Devin Haney and when he cut the ring off against Devin Haney when he's able to do those things he was able to have some success now obviously not enough success to make any difference on the scorecards but from a technical perspective and from a strategy perspective Jorge Linares noticed some things that Gamboa did that he feels will work against Haney as well so um, he's a really confident fighter as you said Chris he seems really comfortable didn't really seem to be there didn't seem to be any nervousness about him or anything I mean he thinks he seems to think that Devin Haney is in over his head on Saturday night I I wouldn't quite say that I mean but you know or I don't think that at all actually but Mm. but he seems to think that he's in for a rude awakening on Saturday night when he's in there with a guy who can punch who's a very diverse offensive fighter but of course on the flip side of it he has been stopped five times you you can't look past that you can't just you know the Cano fight happened at 140 pounds, fine, but he's been stopped four other times, including once in, another time in the first round, uh, one other time in the second round, uh, mm-hmm. once in the 11th. You know, he's been stopped multiple times in fights. So it, the, one, the one thing I'll say that kind, I, I understand that Devin Haney can't run around here all week saying, I'm going to knock Jorge Linares out, because if you don't, then you're going to have to answer to that after the fight. It's mm-hmm. not a smart thing to do before the fight. If you're a massive puncher, you can say whatever you Deontay Wilder can say he's going to knock out anyone, mm-hmm. and it doesn't, yeah, of course. But Haney's not a huge puncher, and I think he's trying to avoid putting himself into a position where if the fight goes the distance on Saturday night and he looks really good, he's not left answering questions. Well, you said you were going to stop this guy. Five other guys did it. Why didn't you do it? Mm-hmm. You know, so he's been real careful about that. But if he's not at least dominant which is a word that he used in the press conference today mm-hmm. i don't I, I don't know what that says about Devin does he Haney. gain what does he gain from an 11-1 decision i mean I, he and i have had this conversation i've talked about it on the air where i've kind of put him in that demetrius andrade kind of sphere where you are incredibly talented you win fights by wide decisions but one of the reasons you don't get into big fights is because you don't look spectacular and you don't create a mandate with you know knockouts uh, the difference and you know bill haney brought this up to me and i agree with him like devin's never let anyone off the hook in the way that demetrius andrade has demetrius andrade in recent fights anyway has let 
Luke Keeler off the hook. He has let Maciek Seletsky off the hook. Um, he has allowed guys to complete fights or go deeper into fights, whereas Devin Haney hasn't, hasn't done that. I don't think that Yuriyurkis Gamboa came to win that fight against Haney. I think he came to survive. Right. And I can't blame Haney for sweeping and when Gamboa is not presenting the type of openings that he was against Terrence Crawford and, and many others uh, that he's fought. But does, does he... Does he need to do something different to put himself into that conversation with the Teofimos, with the Ryan Garcias, or will you know a dominant decision do it? To answer your original question, is an 11-to-1 type of win good enough? I think it depends what type of 11-to-1 win we're talking about. Is he beating up Jorge Linares? Does he drop him a couple of times? Uh, how does yeah. he beat him? You know, Does he just comfortably outbox him? Does he just use his jab, fight off his back foot? not really take any chances and kind of coast to, to a, you know, 119-109 win or something like that and not really, you know, go for it, so to speak? Uh, or does he try to get Jorge Linares out of there because, again, he's been stopped five times? You know, there'd be no crime in the fight going the distance if he hurts Linares a couple of times or drops him a couple of times and doesn't get the knockout. Ideally, of course, that would happen. But uh, I think really it depends what type of win if it's a wide win on the scorecards, what type of wide win is it? Um, and I think that'll tell us a lot about what Devin Haney's capable of doing in the foreseeable future. Because as you said, commercially, people want to see him knock people out. Um, but I do think if he really beats up Jorge Linares on Saturday night and still goes the distance, but he beats him up and he looks really good, you know, the interest will intensify for the Tiafimo Lopez fight. I think people are going to want to see that fight anyway, mm -hmm. even if he won the type of fight that he won against Gamboa, against a better fighter. There's going to be interest in that fight because they've talked a lot of trash. They're both young, undefeated champions. You have this beef over the WBC title. I mean, the, it, it, the promotion kind of is, is already yeah. ready to go. So, Oh, I, I think it would be uh, an entertaining promotion and a high-level fight. Like, that is the fight that needs to happen next for both these guys. If Haney gets through Linares and Lopez gets through Cambosis, that's a fight for the fall that you have to make. I, I love Teofimo's idea of the WBC ordering a purse bid. Like, Teofimo, I don't think he wants the franchise championship. He wants to be known as the WBC champion. Like, he doesn't... He, I think he's as tired of this crap as, as Haney is right now. I mean, I, so I think that I love the idea of the WBC ordering the purse bid and then just dismissing the franchise championship. Like, you don't... You don't need it in this case. You never did need it, but you don't need it here. It just shouldn't exist, of no, course, No, it's Christy, stupid. You know, By the way, wasn't know. this a title that you weren't supposed to transfer originally? That, that <laughs> is exactly what they said when they designated Canelo. They what said... What are we doing? They literally stated in the press release that they sent that this is a, a special non-transferable designation. And oh, all of a sudden... You can transfer it or win it or lose it or whatever. It's like they write their and rules should, in pencil. Yeah, it's, you just really... This, we shouldn't be talking... This is nonsense. We shouldn't even be talking about this. The, the sanctioning bodies were absurd before before this franchise thing popped up two years ago. And, and now it's just... See, I see it from both perspectives. And I get Devin Haney's gripe. He was the mandatory challenger for Lomachenko. He wanted the fight. And Lomachenko either did not want to fight him or wanted to fight Tiafimo Lopez more. Now, it's kind of hard to... It's not like Lomachenko didn't fight Haney and then went and took a soft touch. Mm -hmm. He went and fought a young, strong guy who beat him. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of... So from Lopez's perspective, he's like, hey, man, I, I, all you guys are you know paying all this lip service to who you'll fight and you'll fight anybody and blah, blah, blah. Well, I went and fought the guy and I beat him. 
So how am I not the undisputed champion? Mm -hmm. From a tech, on a technical level, I see where Haney's coming from, but it's kind of hard to say that that Haney is more of a legitimate champion. Or it's damn near impossible to say it's that impossible. Haney's a, a, a it, it's, legit, it's not Devin's fault. Like it's, him, right, he's just exploiting the system like like Lopez, like all the fighters. And like he initially it, won the interim, then it was elevated, and then it's like it, 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 this whole thing just gives even the most ardent of boxing fans a headache. It's just exhausting to kind of spend capital doing uh, talking about stuff like this. But I think like, Teofimo loves a good purse bid. <laughs> Because he gets paid off them purse bids. But you know what, Keith? He's probably right. That's a great way for both these guys to get paid. Like, you send this to purse bid. I mean, unless Triller comes in again with a massive thing, which I guess you can't rule out. Like, Eddie probably wins, I'm guessing, that purse bid. Like, he'll dig deep into the deep, deep pockets he's got going on right now. But if you're top rank, like, you get paid off it again, you know, on the Teofimo stuff. And that's another, yeah. it's a winnable fight for him. Like, Devin's an excellent fighter, but it's not like Teofimo would be this huge underdog, if at all, in a fight like that. Yeah, I don't think he would be the underdog no. at all, to be honest with you. But um, but Top Rank would be in a kind of a precarious position there because I don't think ESPN would want them to lose back-to-back Devin uh, uh, Teofimo Lopez fights yeah. to purse bid or, or being outbid for the fight. So maybe they're either afforded more money from their budget. Oh, good. The, By the way, great. Be, right. <laughs> like, but they're already paying Top Rank a lot of money yeah. every year, so it's like maybe they have to try to figure it. Could you put, put that fight on pay-per-view? Well, look, if you can put Tiafimo Lopez and George Cambosas on pay-per-view, you can nah, put you really Tiafimo. Can't. No, <laughs> no, really no but I'm, I'm saying they, they did. <laughs> I don't expect it to do a high buy rate, but, um, but if you can do that, you certainly could put uh, Lopez and Haney on pay-per-view. So, But I guess what I'm saying ultimately is that I don't think that Top Rank can put itself in a position where it loses back-to-back fights with a guy who won the biggest fight of his career against arguably the, you know, it was certainly one of the three best pound-for-pound fighters in the world at the time. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't make much sense to lose two. Now, I didn't think it made a lot of sense to lose one of his fights, mm-hmm. let alone back-to-back fights. Do you think, I mean, what do you make of that relationship now? You know, top rank, from when I talk to people over there, one of the things I hear is, they're angling maybe to make a rematch with Lomachenko. I don't know how Lopez feels about that. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So, like, if you don't have that fight and you can't make a Taylor fight for before the end of the year, what do you do? Like, what's your option? I mean, Lopez is going to look around and say, I want to make a lot of money. Right. Who does Top Rank have for him that will offer him? Like, you're not going to – like, Miguel Burchelt doesn't move the needle. Like, there's no – I don't right, see a fight. off a loss. Yeah, yeah, I, I just don't – I don't see a – a marketable fight other than opening up their wallets and winning a purse bid for right. a Devin Haney fight. The Haney fight is the fight that should happen next, but look, we live this every no, day. No. What should happen in boxing and what winds up happening are but it's just almost, like a al- almost like that, always I think that does things. a good rating on, on ESPN yeah, if it winds it up there. It does a good yeah. number at the zone. Yeah. Like, that's just like a... Both those guys will talk their face off. They'll get each other's yeah. face at press conferences. Well, It'll be a one, wild... One of them will talk their faces off. Oh, one of them. <laughs> um, I think but, even, even Devin will... Yeah, I mean, because you know, I think Lopez will bring the best out of him, whereas... The Lenar email champion thing is under his skin. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very That's a good point. And... And Tiafimo Lopez does not miss an opportunity <laughs> to utter the words "email champion" because he knows how much it irritates Devin Haney. He I, does not. I, I get it. He but, says that every no, single does, time, and, and you can almost see the glee he takes as it leaves his mouth every time he says it. But um, as it pertains to Lopez's relationship with Top Rank, it's you know, I know there was talk about there being litigation because they interfered in the per, you know they feel that Top Rank interfered in the purse bid process. 
I'm sure he could sue, but ultimately it wound up working out for sue him for as what? well as <laughs> yeah. as well as imaginable. Really, yeah. I mean, he's going to make an enormous amount of money June 19th. Um, you know, so so it's hard to say that whatever was done by top rank behind the scenes with the zone or whatever this this worked out better for him than anything else could have possibly worked out so and then do you want to waste a lot of money in litigation and and spending time out of the ring because you won't be able to fight while this is going it almost serves no purpose top rank you you complain and understandably that you know crawford's losing you money because you got to pay him x like do you really want to waste like i i know it's a tough pill to swallow if you wind up losing a purse bid and teo goes and fights on his own or wherever but like Teofimo versus some middling 135 is not going to move the needle. It's just throwing away money yeah. to a degree. So why not just roll the dice? Like, I mean, it's not the same thing. And I like to compare what Teo does to what happened with Jose Ramirez and Maurice Hooker. But like if Teofimo beats Devin Haney, he comes back from that a massive star income and probably a bigger pay-per-view draw on ESPN. Like I just, yeah. it just, it, however it works out that fight needs to happen next like ryan garcia is doing his own thing right now he's going to figure his stuff out that's not an option for either guy there's nothing else out there 135 and because gervonta davis seems going to fight at welterweight he's disinterested in in fighting at lightweight i mean whatever you think of him fighting at 140 pounds he certainly doesn't seem interested in fighting tiafimo lopez i mean is he who is he interested in fighting at this point i I don't know like the mario we've talked about this the mario barrios fight is like is strange because barrios is is a threat and I don't know what he gains off it. Like, if I hear, it's on Showtime, right? If I hear anybody talk about the belt, I don't, that's not, it's a yeah. fictional belt. It's on know? Showtime pay-per-view, Show, to be clear, Showtime but, pay-per-view, um, yes. Uh, Shout out Steven Espinosa. It, yeah, I, I don't, the belt thing is nonsense, it's dumb. obviously. Yeah. I mean, he, he's the second, Josh Taylor is the WBA champion. Correct. Everyone with a brain knows that, of This course, isn't a hard know. one either. Josh Taylor's got all of them. <laughs> so it's like, right. you want to talk with 140-pound undisputed junior welterweight champion. So, um, yeah, it's almost in, it's insulting to some extent. Like, why do you keep pressing this issue that he's going to be a... Th- the, those belts should not... I don't fault the fighters at all, as I always say. They're just exploiting the system that exists. It gives you leverage. It helps you make more money. I can totally understand. Mario Barrios is going to make more money for this fight than he'll probably ever make in his life. Mm-hmm. So good for him. Mm-hmm. But to try then to say Gervonta Davis is a... It's a risky fight, and I do despite what people might think of Mario Barrios, I do think there's risk involved here for, for Davis because he can Barrios punch is a lot bigger than him. And he can punch. Yeah, he's not a great, and Davis not a has great been fighter, out. Like, Davis has got power, but he's been outboxed. Like, he's had to rely yeah, on that power. To, yeah. Like, even Leo Santa Cruz had his moments until he got flattened. So right. Davis may have to summon that power. Maybe that power is not there at 140. Well, that's, that's it's interesting you say that because when I asked Tiafimo Lopez about this the other day at the workout, he said he thinks he will carry that power up, and that's why they're so confident in taking this fight, despite the size difference. He feels that he will because ca- he's because Lopez said that he thinks you know Davis's power mm-hmm. is special. So n- that's the way they must look at it because Floyd Mayweather and Leonard Ellerby they're master matchmakers, and they they they're not doing this if they don't think unequivocally that Davis is going to win this mm-hmm. fight. But it is risky because of the size difference. I think. When does Davis fight though? We're up, we're now skewing on to, on to Davis, so I didn't plan on talking about today. But when does Davis fight someone they're not sure that he's going to beat? Like, when does that happen? Because there are guys out there, like, marketable fights you can make. I got to go across the street and make a deal. Though, like, let's say Devin Haney beats Tiafima Lopez. Eddie Hearn would have no problem if Eddie's still working with Devin to take that fight to Fox or Showtime yeah. and do a fight there. No issue whatsoever. Like, when does that happen? Like, I know they're, they're master matchmakers and they've done an incredible job 
turning Gervonta not only into a guy that can be on pay-per-view, but an attraction where he fights, a guy that sells tickets where he fights. That is not easy to do for promoters or for fighters. But at some point, you've got to take a chance, right? Like, you've got to roll the dice in a fight that's, like, close to 50-50. I, I just don't know when that's going to happen for Gervonta Davis. Could be that they wait everyone else out, let other guys knock each other off, and then maybe fight who's, whoever is left standing. Maybe they do that. I suppose. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, because he's... Then you're talking about the 130s coming up, because Teofim was not long for 135. Devin Haney right. is not long for 135. And I don't think Davis is going to stay at 140. That wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's a yeah. small guy. I mean, he, he's barely 5'6", yeah. really, too. So um, I don't see him staying at 140. But, you know, unfortunately, what's going on with Ryan Garcia in his personal life um, changes a lot of things for yeah. a lot of guys at lightweight because that option at the moment is not there. And you hope, of course, he gets well and gets back physically and mentally to where he was before. And then that brings another intriguing option into the mix. But now that he's removed from the mix temporarily, yeah, I mean, if the Haney-Lopez fight happens next, I mean, you know, we always talk about these young lightweights that are contemporaries and they should all fight each other. Well, if Garcia is not fighting for the moment and... uh uh, Haney and Lopez fight each other, well, then all three of those guys are out of the mix for, for Davis at that point anyway. Another year goes by, and right. you just kind of... And he's 20, I think uh, he's 26 now, 26. I believe. He's got time, yeah. but yeah. like these, these wasted years just at least fight one top opponent <laughs> once a year. Yeah. I don't know. Is that too much to ask at this point? Like, I, th- I think we'll learn a lot on June 26 when we see how he handles a 140-pounder. Mm-hmm. You know, if he, if he just blows through Mario Barrio some, somehow... Mm-hmm. And and isn't phased by fighting a much bigger opponent, uh, you know. Maybe that gives them more confidence to do the type of fights that they have not yet done at lower weight classes. I'm not optimistic at this point. <laughs> so, I don't know who, I don't know who's in the PPC universe at 135, but it'll probably be one of those fights at some point. Uh, How about Rancis Bartholomew? <laughs> Let's get him in there. Don't don't put that in the universe. People listen to this podcast, Keith. Uh, Keith, good to talk to you, man. I'll see you at the pool later. Uh, well, always, morning, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go put on the uh, about 14 pounds of sunblock, and I'll be out there. I like the wave pool, it's a little good action there at the yeah. wave pool. It's, yeah, uh, hop in there. You know, absolutely. Yeah, when the wave comes up. Whoa. Uh, no. All right. <laughs> All right. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.